Chapter 16 of Talks to Farmers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lauren Randall. Talks to Farmers by Charles H. Spurgeon. Mealtime in the Cornfields. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. Ruth chapter 2 verse 14 We are going to the cornfields, not so much to glean as to rest with the reapers and gleaners, when under some wide-spreading oak they sit down to take refreshment. We hope some timid gleaner will accept our invitation to come and eat with us, and will have confidence enough to dip her morsel in the vinegar. May all of us have courage to feast to the full on our own account, and kindness enough to carry home a portion to our needy friends at home. Our first point of remark is this, that God's reapers have their meal times. Those who work for God will find him a good master. He cares for oxen, and he has commanded Israel, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox when he treadeth out the corn. Much more doth he care for his servants who serve him. He hath given meat unto them that fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. The reapers in Jesus' field shall not only receive a blessed reward at the last, but they shall have plenteous comforts by the way. He is pleased to pay his servants twice, first in the labor itself, and a second time in the labor's sweet results. He gives them such joy and consolation in the service of their master that it is a sweet employ, and they cry, We delight to do thy will, O Lord. Heaven is made up of serving God day and night, and a foretaste of heaven is enjoyed in serving God on earth with earnest perseverance. God has ordained certain meal times for his reapers, and he has appointed that one of these shall be when they come together to listen to the word preached. If God be with ministers, they act as the disciples did of old, for they received the loaves and the fishes from the Lord Jesus, and then they handed them to the people. We, of ourselves, cannot feed one soul, much less thousands. But when the Lord is with us, we can keep as good a table as Solomon himself, with all his fine flour and fat oxen and roebucks and fallow deer. When the Lord blesses the provisions of his house, no matter how many thousands there may be, all his poor shall be filled with bread. I hope, beloved, you know what it is to sit under the shadow of the word with great delight, and find the fruit thereof sweet unto your taste, where the doctrines of grace are boldly and plainly delivered to you in connection with the other truths of revelation, where Jesus Christ upon his cross is always lifted up, where the work of the Spirit is not forgotten, where the glorious purpose of the Father is never despised, there is sure to be rich provision for the children of God. Often, too, our gracious Lord appoints us mealtimes in our private readings and meditations. Here it is that his paths drop fatness. Nothing can be more fattening to the soul of the believer than feeding upon the word and digesting it by frequent meditation. No wonder that men grow so slowly when they meditate so little. Cattle must chew the cud. It is not that which they crop with their teeth but that which is masticated and digested by rumination, that nourishes them. We must take the truth and turn it over and over again in the inward parts of our spirit, and so shall we extract suitable nourishment therefrom. 
My brethren, is not meditation the land of Goshen to you? If men once said, There is corn in Egypt, may they not always say that the finest of the wheat is to be found in secret prayer? Private devotion is a land which floweth with milk and honey, a paradise yielding all manner of fruits, a banqueting house of choice wines. Ahasuerus might make a great feast, but all his hundred and twenty provinces could not furnish such dainties as meditation offers to the spiritual mind. Where can we feed and lie down in green pastures in so sweet a sense as we do in our musings on the word? Meditation distills the quintessence of joy from the scriptures, and gladdens our mouth with a sweetness which excels the virgin honey. Your retired periods and occasions of prayer should be to you refreshing seasons, in which, like the reapers at noonday, you sit with the master and enjoy his generous provisions. The shepherd of Salisbury Plain was wont to say that when he was lonely and his wallet was empty, his Bible was to him meat and drink, and company too. He is not the only man who has found a fullness in the word when all else has been empty. During the Battle of Waterloo, a godly soldier, mortally wounded, was carried by his comrade into the rear, and being placed with his back propped up against a tree, he besought his friend to open his knapsack and take out the Bible which he had carried in it. Read to me, he said, one verse before I close my eyes in death. His comrade read him that verse, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. And there, fresh from the whistling of the bullets and the roll of the drum and the tempest of human conflict, that believing spirit enjoyed such holy calm that ere he fell asleep in the arms of Jesus, he said, Yes, I have a peace with God which passeth all understanding, which keeps my heart and mind through Jesus Christ. Saints most surely enjoy delightful mealtimes when they are alone in meditation. Let us not forget that there is one specially ordained mealtime which ought to occur at least once in the week. I mean the supper of the Lord. There you have literally as well as spiritually a meal. The table is richly spread. It has upon it both bread and wine. And looking at what these symbolize, we have before us a table richer than that which kings could furnish. There we have the flesh and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, whereof if a man eat, he shall never hunger and never thirst, for that bread shall be unto him everlasting life. Oh, the sweet seasons we have known at the Lord's Supper! If some of you knew the enjoyment of feeding upon Christ in that ordinance, you would chide yourselves for not having united with the church in fellowship. In keeping the Master's commandments, there is great reward, and consequently in neglecting them there is great loss of reward. Christ is not so tied to the sacramental table as to be always found of those who partake thereat, but still it is in the way that we may expect the Lord to meet with us. If ye love me, keep my commandments, is a sentence of touching power. Sitting at this table, our soul has mounted up from the emblem to the reality. We have eaten bread in the kingdom of God and have leaned our head upon Jesus' bosom. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Besides, these regular mealtimes, there are others which God gives us, at seasons when, perhaps, we little expect them. You have been walking the street, and suddenly you have felt a holy flowing out of your soul toward God, 
or in the middle of business, your heart has been melted with love and made to dance for joy, even as the brooks, which have been bound with winter's ice, leap to feel the touch of spring. You have been groaning, dull and earthbound, but the sweet love of Jesus has enwrapped your heart when you scarce thought of it, and your spirit, all free and all on fire, has rejoiced before the Lord with timbrel and dance, like Miriam of old. I have had times occasionally in preaching, when I would fain have kept on far beyond the appointed hour, for my overflowing soul has been like a vessel wanting vent. Seasons, too, we have had on our sick beds, when we would have been content to be sick always, if we could have had our beds so well made by tender love, and our heads so softly pillowed on condescending grace. Our blessed Redeemer comes to us in the morning, and wakes us up by dropping sweet thoughts upon our souls. We know not how they came, but it is as if, when the dew was visiting the flowers, a few drops had taken pity upon us. In the cool even tide, too, as we have gone to our bed, our meditation of him has been sweet, and in the night watches, when we tossed to and fro, and could not sleep, he has been pleased to become our song in the night. God's reapers find it hard work to reap, but they gain a blessed solace when in one way or another they sit down and eat of their master's rich provisions. Then, with renewed strength, they rise with sharpened sickle to reap again in the noontide heat. Let me observe that, while these meal times come, we know not exactly when. There are certain seasons when we may expect them. The eastern reapers generally sit down under the shelter of a tree or a booth to take refreshment during the heat of the day, and certain I am that when trouble, affliction, persecution, and bereavement become the most painful to us, it is then that the Lord hands out to us the sweetest comforts. We must work till the hot sun forces the sweat from our faces, and then we may look for repose. We must bear the burden and heat of the day before we can expect to be invited to those choice meals which the Lord prepares for true laborers. When thy day of trouble is hottest, then the love of Jesus shall be sweetest. Again, these mealtimes frequently occur before a trial. Elijah must be entertained beneath a juniper tree, for he is to go a forty days' journey in the strength of that meat. You may suspect some danger nigh when your delights are overflowing. If you see a ship taking in great quantities of provision, it is probably bound for a distant port. And when God gives you extraordinary seasons of communion with Jesus, you may look for long leagues of tempestuous sea. Sweet cordials prepare for stern conflicts. Times of refreshing also occur after trouble or arduous service. Christ was tempted of the devil, and afterwards angels came and ministered unto him. Jacob wrestled with God, and afterwards at Mahanaim hosts of angels met him. Abraham fought with the kings and returned from their slaughter, and then it was that Melchizedek refreshed him with bread and wine. After conflict, content. After battle, banquet. When thou hast waited on thy Lord, then thou shalt sit down, and thy master will gird himself and wait upon thee. Let worldlings say what they will about the hardness of religion. We do not find it so. We own that reaping for Christ has its difficulties and troubles, but still the bread which we eat is of heavenly sweetness, and the wine which we drink is crushed from celestial clusters. I would not change my blessed estate for all the world calls good or great, and while my faith can keep her hold, I envy not the sinner's gold. Follow me while we turn to a second point. 
To these meals the gleaner is affectionately invited. That is to say, the poor, trembling stranger, who has not strength enough to reap, who has no right to be in the field except the right of charity. The poor, trembling sinner, conscious of his own demerit, and feeling but little hope and little joy, is invited to the feast of love. In the text, the gleaner is invited to come. At mealtime, come thou hither. We trust none of you will be kept away from the place of holy feasting by any shame on account of your dress, or your personal character, or your poverty, nay, nor even on account of your physical infirmities. At mealtime, come thou hither. I knew a deaf woman who could never hear a sound, and yet she was always in the house of God, and when asked why, her reply was that a friend found her the text, and then God was pleased to give her many a sweet thought upon it while she sat with his people. Besides, she felt that as a believer she ought to honor God by her presence in his courts, and by confessing her union with his people. And better still, she always liked to be in the best of company, and as the presence of God was there, and the holy angels and the saints of the Most High, whether she could hear or no, she would go. If such persons find pleasure in coming, we who can hear should never stay away. Though we feel our unworthiness, we ought to be desirous to be laid in the house of God, as the sick were at the pool of Bethesda, hoping that the waters may be stirred, and that we may step in and be healed. Trembling soul, never let the temptations of the devil keep thee from the assembly of worshippers. At mealtime, come thou hither. Moreover, she was bidden not only to come, but to eat. Whatever there is sweet and comfortable in the word of God, ye that are of a broken and contrite spirit are invited to partake of it. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, sinners such as you are. In due time Christ died for the ungodly, such ungodly ones as you feel yourselves to be. You desire to be Christ's. You may be Christ's. You are saying in your heart, Oh, that I could eat the children's bread. You may eat it. You say, I have no right. But the Lord gives you the invitation. Come without any other right than the right of His invitation. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. But since He bids you come, Take him at his word, and if there be a promise, believe it. If there be an encouraging word, accept it, and let the sweetness of it be yours. Note further that she was not only invited to eat the bread, but to dip her morsel in the vinegar. We must not look upon this as being some sour stuff. No doubt there are crabbed souls in the church who always dip their morsel in the sourest imaginable vinegar, and with a grim liberality invite others to share their misery with them. But the vinegar in my text is altogether another thing. This was either a compound of various juices expressed from fruits, or else it was that weak kind of wine mingled with water which is still commonly used in the harvest fields of Italy and the warmer parts of the world. A drink not exceedingly strong, but good enough to impart a relish to the food. It was, to use the only word which will give the meaning, a sauce, which the Orientals used with their bread, as we use butter or as they on other occasions used oil. So in the harvest field, believing it to have cooling properties, they used what is here called vinegar. Beloved, the Lord's reapers have sauce with their bread. They have not merely doctrines, but the whole unction which is the essence of doctrines. They have not merely truths, but a hallowed delight accompanies the truths. Take, for instance, the doctrine of election, which is like the bread. There is a sauce to dip it in. When I can say, He loved me before the foundations of the world, 
the personal enjoyment of my interest in the truth becomes a sauce into which I dip my morsel. And you, poor gleaner, are invited to dip your morsel in it too. I used to hear people sing the hymn of Top Ladies, which begins, A debtor to mercy alone, of covenant mercy I sing, nor fear with thy righteousness on my person and offering to bring. The hymn rises to its climax in the lines, Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given, more happy but not more secure, the glorified spirits in heaven. I used to think I should never be able to sing that hymn. It was the sauce, you know. I might manage to eat some of the plain bread, but I could not dip it in that sauce. It was too high doctrine, too sweet, too consoling. But I thank God I have since ventured to dip my morsel in it, and now I hardly like my bread without it. I would have every trembling sinner partake of the comfortable parts of God's word, even those which cavaliers call high doctrine. Let him believe the simpler truth first, and then dip it in the sweet doctrine and be happy in the Lord. I think I see the gleaner half prepared to come, for she is very hungry, and she has nothing with her. But she begins to say, I have no right to come, for I am not a reaper. I do nothing for Christ. I am only a selfish gleaner. I am not a reaper. Ah, but thou art invited to come. Make no questions about it. Boaz bids thee, take thou his invitation, and approach at once. But, you say, I am such a poor gleaner. Though my labor is all for myself, yet it is little I win by it. I get a few thoughts while the sermon is being preached, but I lose them before I reach home. I know you do, poor weak-handed woman, but still Jesus invites thee. Come, take thou the sweet promise as he presents it to thee. And let no bashfulness of thine send thee home hungry. But, you say, I am a stranger. You do not know my sins, my sinfulness, and the waywardness of my heart. But Jesus does, and yet he invites you. He knows you are but a Moabitess, a stranger from the commonwealth of Israel. But he bids you come. Is not that enough? But, you say, I owe so much to him already. It is so good of him to spare my forfeited life, and so tender of him to let me hear the gospel preached at all. I cannot have the presumption to be an intruder and sit with the reapers. Oh, but he bids you. There is more presumption in your doubting than there could be in your believing. He bids you. Will you refuse, Boaz? Shall Jesus' lips give the invitation, and you say him nay? Come now, come. Remember that the little which Ruth could eat did not make Boaz any the poorer, and all that thou wantest will make Christ none the less glorious or full of grace. Are thy necessities large? His supplies are larger. Dost thou require great mercy? He is a great Savior. I tell thee that his mercy is no more to be exhausted than the sea is to be drained. Come at once. There is enough for thee, and Boaz will not be impoverished by thy feasting to the full. Moreover, let me tell thee a secret. Jesus loves thee. Therefore is it that he would have thee feed at his table. If thou art now a longing, trembling sinner, willing to be saved, but conscious that thou deservest it not, Jesus loves thee, and he will take more delight in seeing thee eat than thou wilt take in the eating. Let the sweet love he feels in his soul towards thee draw thee to him. And what is more, but this is a great secret, and must only be whispered in your ear. 
He intends to be married to you. And when you are married to him, why, the fields will be yours. For, of course, if you are his spouse, you are joint proprietor with him. Is it not so? Doth not the wife share with the husband? All those promises which are yea and amen in Christ shall be yours. Nay, they all are yours now. For the man is next of kin unto you, and ere long he will take you unto himself forever, espousing you in faithfulness and truth and righteousness. Will you not eat of your own? Oh, but, says one, how can it be? I am a stranger. Yes, a stranger, but Jesus Christ loves the stranger, a publican, a sinner, but he is the friend of publicans and sinners, an outcast, but he gathereth together the outcasts of Israel, a stray sheep, but the shepherd leaves the ninety and nine to seek it, a lost piece of money, but he sweeps the house to find thee, a prodigal son, but he sets the bells a-ringing when he knows that thou wilt return, come, Ruth, come, trembling gleaner, Jesus invites thee, accept the invitation. At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. Now, thirdly, and here is a very sweet point in the narrative, Boaz reached her the parched corn. She did come and eat. Where did she sit? Note well that she sat beside the reapers. She did not feel that she was one of them, just like some of you who do not come to the Lord's Supper, but sit and look on. You are sitting beside the reapers. You fear that you are not the people of God, still you love them, and therefore sit beside them. If there is a good thing to be had, and you cannot get it, you will sit as near as you can to those who do get it. She sat beside the reapers. And while she was sitting there, what happened? Did she stretch forth her hand and take the food herself? No, it is written, He reached her the parched corn. Ah, that is it. None but the Lord of the harvest can hand out the choicest refreshments of spiritual minds. I give the invitation in my master's name, and I hope I give it earnestly, affectionately, sincerely. But I know very well that at my poor bidding, none will come till the Spirit draws. No trembling heart will accept divine refreshing at my hand, unless the king himself comes near and reaches the parched corn to each chosen guest. None will receive it. How does he do this? By his gracious spirit. He first of all inspires your faith. You are afraid to think that it can be true that such a sinner as you are can ever be accepted in the beloved. He breathes upon you, and your faint hope becomes an expectancy. And that expectation buds and blossoms into an appropriating faith, which says, Yes, my beloved is mine, and his desire is toward me. Having done this, the Savior does more. He sheds abroad the love of God in your heart. The love of Christ is like sweet perfume in a box. Now, he who put the perfume in the box is the only person that knows how to take off the lid. He, with his own skillful hand, opens the secret blessing and sheds abroad the love of God in the soul. But Jesus does more than this. He reaches the parched corn with his own hand when he gives us close communion with himself. Do not think that this is a dream. I tell you there is such a thing as speaking with Christ today. As certainly as I can talk with my dearest friend or find solace in the company of my beloved wife, so surely may I speak with Jesus and find intense delight in the company of Emmanuel. It is not a fiction. We do not worship a far-off Savior. He is a God nigh at hand. 
His word is in our mouth and in our heart. And we do today walk with him as the elect did of old and commune with him as his apostles did on earth, not after the flesh, it is true, but after a real and spiritual fashion. Yet once more, let me add, the Lord Jesus is pleased to reach the parched corn in the best sense when the Spirit gives us the infallible witness within that we are born of God. A man may know that he is a Christian beyond all question. Philip de Morny, who lived in the time of Prince Henry of Navarre, was wont to say that the Holy Spirit had made his own salvation to him as clear a point as a problem demonstrated in Euclid. You know with what mathematical precision the scholar of geometry solves a problem or proves a proposition, and with as absolute a precision as certainly as twice two are four, we may know that we have passed from death unto life. The sun in the heavens is not more clear to the eye than his present salvation to an assured believer. Such a man could as soon doubt his own existence as suspect his possession of eternal life. Now, let the prayer be breathed by poor Ruth, who is trembling yonder. Lord, reach me the parched corn. Show me a token for good. Deal bountifully with thy servant. Draw me. We will run after thee. Lord, send thy love into my heart. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening powers. Come, shed abroad a Savior's love, and that shall kindle ours. There is no getting at Christ except by Christ revealing himself to us. And now the last point. After Boaz had reached the parched corn, we are told that she did eat and was sufficed and left. So shall it be with every Ruth. Sooner or later, every penitent shall become a believer, every mourner a singer. There may be a space of deep conviction and a period of much hesitation, but there shall come a season when the soul decides for the Lord and cries, If I perish, I perish. I will go as I am to Jesus. I will not play the fool any longer with my buts and ifs, but since he bids me believe that he died for me, I will believe it and will trust his cross for my salvation. Whenever you shall be privileged to do this, you shall be satisfied. She did eat and was sufficed. Your head shall be satisfied with the precious truth which Christ reveals. Your heart shall be content with Jesus as the altogether lovely object of affection. Your hope shall be filled for whom have you in heaven but Christ. Your desire shall be satiated for what can even your desire hunger for more than to know Christ and to be found in him. You shall find Jesus charm your conscience till it is at perfect peace. He shall content your judgment till you know the certainty of his teachings. He shall supply your memory with recollections of what he did and gratify your imagination with the prospects of what he is yet to do. She was sufficed and left. Some of us have had deep drafts of love. We have thought that we could take in all of Christ, but when we have done our best, we have had to leave a vast remainder. We have sat down with a ravenous appetite at the table of the Lord's love and said, Nothing but the infinite can ever satisfy me, and that infinite has been granted us. I have felt that I am such a great sinner that nothing short of an infinite atonement could wash my sins away, and no doubt you have felt the same. But we have had our sin removed and found merit enough and to spare in Jesus. We have had our hunger relieved and found a redundance remaining for others who are in a similar case. There are certain sweet things in the word of God which you and I have not enjoyed yet and which we cannot enjoy yet. 
and these we are obliged to leave for a while, till we are better prepared to receive them. Did not our Lord say, I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now? There is a special knowledge to which we have not attained, a place of intimate fellowship with Christ, which we have not yet occupied. There are heights of communion, which as yet our feet have not climbed, virgin snows of the mountain of God, untrodden by the foot of man. There is yet a beyond, and there will be forever. A verse or two further on, we are told what Ruth did with her leavings. It is very wrong, I believe, at feasts to carry anything home with you. But she was not under any such regulation, for that which was left she took home and gave to Naomi. So it shall be even with you, poor tremblers, who think you have no right to a morsel for yourselves. You shall be allowed to eat, and when you are quite sufficed, you shall have courage to bear away a portion to others who are hungering at home. I am always pleased to find the young believer beginning to pocket something for others. When you hear a sermon, you think, My poor mother cannot get out today. How I wish she could have been here, for that sentence would have comforted her. If I forget everything else, I will tell her that. Cultivate an unselfish spirit. Seek to love as you have been loved. Remember that the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. How can you love your neighbor as yourself if you do not love his soul? You have loved your own soul. Through grace you have been led to lay hold on Jesus. Love your neighbor's soul and never be satisfied till you see him in the enjoyment of those things which are the charm of your life and the joy of our spirit. Take home your gleanings for those you love who cannot glean for themselves. I do not know how to give you an invitation to Christ more pleasantly, but I would with my whole heart cry, Come and welcome to Jesus. I pray, my Lord and Master, to reach a handful of parched corn of comfort to you if you are a trembling sinner, and I also beg him to make you eat till you are fully sufficed. End of chapter 16 Mealtime in the Cornfields